To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome, everyone, to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know that song. You know this voice. It's your boy, Rook. Joining me today, as always, is my cohort in crime, my kingpin. It's Mr. Don Moore. Hello again. Don, it's just us today, man. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since we've had a regular episode. <laughs> wow. it's, it, dude, the influx of amazing creators has been an absolutely just i feel overwhelmed by it and i'm thankful for all of you guys that have come on men women everybody that's come on this show to talk to us about their creations thank you all so much for that it really means a lot to us um but today it's just us man we get to talk comic books what are you reading don well here's a funny story because i Stepped out of my wheelhouse. What'd you do? What did you do? Um, oh boy, Don, Don's on video right now with me, and he's like reaching over, grabbing from a stack. This ought to be good. Okay. Um, I was at Ollie's. If you don't have Ollie's, it's a discount store. I guess it's a closeout store kind of thing. But I like to go there because they have a graphic novel section. Uh, a lot of times I go to the store, I. I don't, they have a lot of stuff, but it's nothing I really want to read. And um, the last few times I've been there, I, I've picked up things that I actually like, but I didn't really need it, but I bought it anyway because it was inexpensive. <laughs> and, um, Isn't that the best thing about comics? Yeah. It's like, I don't need this, but I'm going to yeah. read it anyway. Well, one of them I'm talking about, when I was a kid, my favorite book was a uh, it wasn't the new book in the 70s, but it was the reprints from the 60s, uh, Justice League of America. Uh, Mike Sikowski wrote them. I think Gardner Fox wrote, or wrote them. Um, Mike Sikowski drew them. Mike Sikowski, a lot of people really disliked, um, but as a kid, I, I enjoyed, enjoyed him quite a bit. Anyway, I picked him up. Um, as a 61-year-old man, the they're not as enticing as they were when I was eight. <laughs> but, uh, but nevertheless, I was happy to get them. And I remember some of these stories of great fondness, and some of them I've never even read. Anyway, I picked up one uh, because I know you and Dallas are aware of it. Preacher. Oh, man. Garth Ennis's Preacher. What a book. Uh, so this is definitely out of your wheelhouse. This is a bit, um, a bit gore, a bit uh, 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 foul language. Yeah. What did you think of the preacher? Well, the first time I had ever heard of it was from you, and it was one of the first probably fifteen episodes we did. I can't remember what the book you were talking about, but they said that this is a book that's going to out preacher the preacher. That would be the boys. Oh, the boys. And you said, honestly, I'll preach to the preacher. Of course, I wasn't familiar with either one of them. Um, now, I had read, Dallas lent me a trade he had. I don't know what the number would be in it. But he kept referring to John Wayne, which I didn't get. And, you know, he's out 
in the middle of nowhere and um he has the word of God now saying that I read it I mean I, I liked it okay and I, I gave it back to Dallas do you have any more and he goes no it's the only one he's got good enough I asked him a few questions about I didn't really understand what was going on what John Wayne was there and what um you know this word of God was so anyway I picked this one up it's the first one and uh, so it, it starts it off I have to say this is absolutely if you ever read the series I don't think you can really pick up a random trade I think you need to go from the beginning to appreciate it and uh, and boy did I um, now I've read books that you know had foul language had I mean I read heavy metal religiously when that was out in the 70s um, I really enjoyed the first first half of the book when it tells how he met the the two cohorts he's with I thought it was genius how it started off and it really had you curious what was going to happen next I could not wait you know I, I read this in little segments when I had a chance I couldn't wait to get back to it and read it um, I, again, I thought it was incredible, and you never knew what was going to happen to it. The, the artwork and the story just went smoothly. Um, the second half of the book, kind of hard to take. I mean, I liked it, <laughs> but it really took a, <laughs> a really yeah. harsh turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the book definitely uh, takes a, a weird turn, and you know, for a lot of people. Uh, you know, eat, like, okay, so this was adapted into a television show as well. I, I saw the first and, couple of episodes of it. Yeah, so, um, like, my wife has never read Preacher. And so, for her, the the weirdness towards the end was just, like, a little bit like, what the heck is going on? So, um, but yeah, it... Garth Garth Ennis is a fantastic writer. Um, he did one of my favorite Ghost Rider stories. Well, two of my favorite Ghost Rider stories of all time. Um, he did The um, Road to Damnation uh, for one, where they took Blaze and made him um, the Divine Spirit of Vengeance of God. Uh, absolutely brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. But his preacher work was. Um, I don't know if it was his breakout stuff. I'm pretty sure he worked in, in, in stuff before that. But, I mean, Preacher was just absolutely a monster of a book. Yeah, it's... You know, I've seen the show. I watched it uh, a couple times on AMC. Really stylized. It reminded me of old alcohol commercials in Texas. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I'm looking at, at this cover on this, the cover image... And that's really what they were basing the whole look of the show on, was that, which yep. isn't reflected in the book as much. Um, when the first, I'm guessing this is six issues, and I'm going to say probably the first three issues, you know, told one arc, which I really enjoyed. I'm thinking, well, I'm going to hunt the other ones down. Uh, the second half of the book... It took a turn. I'm saying that I still enjoyed reading it, and when it's finished, I was like, "Man!" But I don't think I'm gonna search for them <laughs> very hard. <laughs> um, I'm, when I'm saying that, I'm not trying to. If somebody hasn't read Preacher and thinking it's interesting, it is. It's a good series, and 
I kind of want to read the, the book Dallas has again um, because now some of it makes sense. Um, it's interesting how they told that story because you see, um, I'm not sure exactly which one starts first, but you have um, a woman running through the streets trying to do something, and then she's being chased down by a gunman. Mm -hmm. Then she runs into a guy with a pickup truck. Um, kind of a punk rock looking guy. Um, I guess that you would have had in the 90s still. <laughs> and um, she inadvertently ends with him and he's helping her. And then you see the preacher. And he goes into a basically a honky tonk, a roadhouse. And he's getting on to the people for what they're doing and not coming to church. And all, all kinds of hijinks ensue. Then the next day, on Sunday, it shows them all show up at the church, the whole town. Which I guess he said usually only has a few people in the congregation. Now he has everybody. Because I guess they're either wanting to see what's going to happen, or they're wanting to give him what for, for what he did at the honky-tonk. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's how the story starts out. And then it slowly unfolds. Um, two of the people are trying to find out why they were together at one point and not anymore. And what... And, they take their time answering, which I thought was kind of neat, because I'm wanting to find out. You slowly start finding out a little bit about each person. Um, I thought it was genius how they paced this out. Um, I was never like, oh, come on, let's just get moving. Um, it was something, and they're setting it up with side characters. You know, some of them they do away with. Some of them, you know, they're going to be coming back. Um, I highly recommend the book, even though I'm not going to be searching them out very hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, again, I, I it's something. Garth Ennis, I've, I've read some other books he's written, I think. I can't think of what they are. Um, but I, I've read some of his work. Yeah, uh, he is an absolutely uh, powerhouse of a writer. I mean, he's done he's done Batman, he's done Crossed. I've talked about Crossed before. Of course, The Boys. Um, he's done uh, Hellblazer, um, Marvel Knights stuff. He's done a lot of work, a lot of different stuff. Um, Constantine or Hellblazer, whatever, you know, however you know that as. Um but yeah, he, he's a he's a very pro prolific writer in the industry, and like I said, just um, absolutely one of my favorites. If I if I see his name on a book, there's a certain level of crazy that I expect, but there's also a certain level of like dark realism that I expect as well. You know, um, he's just got that that kind of flavor to him, in my opinion. So, you know, I mean, what he, what he did with the boys, I mean, making, you know, these superheroes just horrible, horrible people is not something new. We've seen it before, but it's he do, he took it to a whole different level. And Preacher, Preacher is definitely one of his uh, his his best works. Yeah, it seems like to me that's the one that's that's close to him. It seemed like the other stuff he's done was. You know, there's somebody else's work that he's added to and put his own take yeah. on it, but this one is his. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he's done, 
like I said, we've got Punisher work from him. We've got Batman work. Um, Johnny Red. I don't even know what that is, honestly. Um, but Ghost Rider Road to Damnation, like I said, that's that's an absolute favorite of mine. Um, and uh, a tip a tip to the artist that was on uh, Ghost Rider Road to Damnation, I actually wanted to get a full back tattoo of the first uh, issue cover art of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how much I love that friggin' piece. You know, the the artwork, the writing, just absolutely fantastic stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, I just looked him up. I I haven't read. I said maybe I read some of his other work, but I have not. Um, I guess I just know him from you in Dallas. Except I read, you know, Preacher. Yeah, but um, yeah. strong work. That's, I guess that's the thing. When you read comics, there's so many things. There's a lot of things I passed on. I didn't read. I loved Alan Moore, but I never read his ABC line of books. You know, Tom Strong, um, Promethea, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I've read mm -hmm. them all and have collected them all since. Um, mostly through Dallas. Dallas is the one who kept saying you got to read Promethea, and I really had zero interest. I ended up liking it quite a bit. Um, but that's the thing is sometimes you find something, or through a friend of yours, they say, you know, try this out. Um, really good stuff. There's a lot of a lot of work to find, and a lot of it now is printed in reasonably priced trades. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, uh, that's one of the best parts about, like, um, <clears throat> Catching on to something like this after the fact, you can get you can get all the trades real quick, real easy, and you know really get a lot of entertainment value, uh, reading value, and then you sit down and you watch like the TV shows and everything that go with it. You know, um, you know, I I think Ennis's stuff as far as like Preacher and the Boys kind of work hand in glove because they they adapt his stuff very well to the screen. Yeah. Um, you know, personally, I would love to see him work on a Ghost Rider movie um, with a much better actor than they've had in the past. <laughs> I, I told you I was watching Crackle, you know, those, those free online TV show channels. And um, I was watching something. And if you don't, when the movie's finished or TV show, whatever you're watching, if you don't change it, Something else pops up, and I just let it. And they showed the first Ghost Rider movie. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Well, you always go on about it. But you know, I, I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, I would go buy it. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a Ghost Rider audience member like you are. But I, I, I didn't hate it. You know? Yeah, uh, okay. it's just uh, I missed the mark. Missed the mark on so many places. You know, so, but. We'll see. Um, Mor Morbius didn't really get a whole lot of traction as far as the movie, so I'm kind of kind of thinking Marvel might shy away from their darker properties for movie production. Um, we'll see. We'll see. You know, we never know. We never know what Marvel's thinking because they can do some wild, weird stuff sometimes. So, but you know, hey. It's worth a shot, man. Okay, well, one more stepping out of my wheelhouse. Oh, um, boy. Oh, man. 
Who is this guy I'm talking to? <laughs> well, this one came from my daughter. Um, she lent me three three collections. Um, just to set this up, the first one was called. Um, hang on. Let me find it. It was a, oh. about a cat. It was um. Oh, oh, here it is. House Cat Trouble by Mason Dickerson. And it has a sticker on it that says Book Club Kids 6 to 9. Um, it was a little hardback. And it's drawn in a style that I, I see all the time. You know, when you go to like a, any bookstore, they have comics that none of us have read. You know, they're for younger younger people. And um, mm -hmm. they kind of have a style. It's a... Um, it's a cross between anime, manga, and uh, American comic strips. Uh, Scott Pilgrim, to me, is the one that kind of started all that off. But uh, this one's about a, a house cat. And I... A lot of drawings. So they, they look simple, but there's a lot to them. And, you know, the cover has a cat in front of the house with... Um, these little creatures with two eyes, three eyes, one eye, which I tend to enjoy. Um, but it's about a woman with a house cat, and she's got to go visit her mother, and she tells the house cat, you know, um, she's leaving her food, I'll be back. Well, the cat's in the house. There's an older cat outside telling her, you got spirits in the house, watch out. And the cat doesn't really understand, and um, the guy just leaves, the other cat leaves. Well, two other cats, a male and female, or street cats, they come over and say something about um, their spirits, and they track them down to this house. Well, the cat has a cat door. She comes out and talks to them, and they're panicked because the spirits are, really are there, and they're multiplying. Anyway, they get the cat to come out, and they're trying to help her because it's pretty severe. And um, I guess the spirits aren't supposed to be able to come out during the day, but these are... They have to go across town, deal with crows, which <laughs> was pretty awesome. They had, um, <clears throat> the crows kind of double-cross them. Uh, they deal with other animals. And then, um, she finally, um, they get back to the house and start it. But the street cats, it's a male and female. And the female is really bitter and resentful and treats the house cat with disdain. The house cat basically proves proves himself, and um, it turns out to be a really neat story. I started it like, well, this is this is a lot of information I don't know, but I was really upset when it finished. Um, what upset me even more was this is Mason Dickerson's first book, <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait a minute. It's a nice package. I would be so happy if I had something like it's a nice paper uh, hardback. It's it's got everything in it. It's a nice complete story, and he did it all. And um, I I talked to my daughter about it. Uh, there's another cartoon that she likes called Ben Sears, which works kind of in the same style, but his stuff is kind of a a Mad Max. Um, soldier of fortune type character even though it's done for kids and I've read a couple of his she's met him 
you know, she she's bought t-shirts from him and some books she, she's got about five or six of them they're pretty neat um, he's got a sidekick with him and some kind of spirit animal sidekick and he's got all this equipment it's neat but I asked her about uh, Mason Dickerson and she said she went to his table but he wasn't there and Ben Sears is the one that checked her out but she said he's been doing um I guess he does prints and he does um mini comics in the past but I mean this nice. is a this is a full book so anyway I I liked it you know I, I gave it back to my daughter and talked to her and the next book in the pile oh man was Paul Pope 100% what is this um this one I have to say Paul Pope is really something. I've read his work before. Here's the back cover. Okay. And um, the interior is grayscale. Uh, yeah, beautiful grayscale coloring and it everything. It is beautiful. Um, yeah. It was kind of jarring after reading about a house cat. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> Paul Pope... I don't know if you ever read when DC was doing those uh, that series called Solo. Um, DC put a Mark Chiarello was the editor of it. He was the one to put it together, but I think they did twelve issues of it, and it was a different creator got an entire issue. They could do whatever they wanted, but I think DC had a requirement. They wanted you to use at least three of their characters in the stories, kind of a Vertigo style thing. You know, Mike Allred did one, uh, Sergio Jorgenez did one, Dharma Cook did, that's my favorite one, uh, Howard Chaikin did one. I thought they were really something, you know, but I mean, they had little short stories in them, they had um, sometimes just one page drawings. Um, anyway, Paul Pope had one, and a friend of mine, Britt, who's been on a show, he sent it to me. And at first I thought, why why would you send this to me? I, you know, um, Paul Pope has a, he's got his own style, but it's kind of like, it has a Kyle Baker kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And a really strong heavy metal in the late 70s vibe. You know, um, when he does color work, it makes me think of the, the European work. And kind of perverse and threatening. Anyway, it's, Rook and I always go on this pull and push thing on it. I love Jack Kirby's OMAC. Um, that was my favorite DC work that Jack Kirby did. It was eight issues. It said the world is coming. And again, it was a threatening, un, unhappy world. But there were still moments in it that I thought, this is neat. I really liked OMAC. The Global Peace Agency seemed really neat and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it was extremely violent and dangerous. And it seemed like mankind was always on the brink of extinction, extinction from um, fascism and um, massive wealth and control. But the first issue was really famous because the cover has OMAC throwing a box with this woman in it. And it looked like the most horrifying trap you ever saw. You know, you see her face, her hands are sticking out of the bottom, and her knees and her legs are above her head, like 
like the best Chinese contortionist could do. And you're thinking, oh, this is this is awful. Anyway, I bought that, and I really loved it. But it told the whole story of how Buddy Blank became Omac, and how the factory he worked at, how everybody was terrible. You know, they were all messing with him, they are all threatening him with him, even his boss, and he's getting aggravated. And Buddy Blank was just a nice guy. I mean, they kept referring to him as a zero, but he, you know, he wasn't a bad guy. He was a good guy. And just everybody yeah. else around him was just irate and anxious and, you know, aggressive. Um, and the woman in the box on the cover was there, and she was really nice. Her name was Lila. And she was the most human person there. Anyway, they told the story, and it was something. Um, I I was really shocked. Um, I went back to school, and me and all my friends were talking about it, and everybody liked it. Anyway, Paul Pope retold that OMAC origin in his solo book. And he was faithful to Jack Kirby's story. I mean, he basically... He didn't copy it. He just told the story the way Jack Kirby did. And it is the most single frightening thing I think I've ever written, read in my life. Just like Jack Kirby's, but I mean, this one was just like, oh, good God, this is horrifying. Yeah, well, the concept of OMAC is just <clears throat> horrifying, you know. Yeah. Um, they After Jack Kirby left and went back to Marvel, they tried to keep the book going. And I wanted to read it. Um, it wasn't the same. They were trying to turn him into some kind of futuristic superhero. Which I guess he was, but it was nothing. Everything was missed. And then um, different creators would come on. And you know, uh, John Byrne had a three-issue prestige format book that was really pushing. And I was thinking, well, maybe that could be good. I never bought it. I'd see it at the store and pick it up and... I mean, I, I can't really talk about it because I never read it, but I had no interest in reading what he was doing. Um, until they did the New 52 and Keith Geffen, who's the creator I've never enjoyed. He did it. <laughs> I loved it! Um, he was vibing the Kirby vibe, but he brought it up to the current times. Like, Brother I, who, who powered OMAC, they were good partners, but in the Jack Kirby book, I mean, you know, Brother I was an entity of good and Omac's friend. And this one, it was scary. And the Buddy Blink character was an Asian guy, Asian-American guy, who wasn't, I hate to say use this word, but wasn't such a zero as Buddy Blink was. He was actually a really interesting human being. And um, he's basically fighting to keep his life and not be turned into this. And Omac wasn't a heroic guy like Captain America in the Jack Kirby work. He was, <laughs> he was this kind of mutant animal thug with with the cyber mohawk. Yeah. And um, but <laughs> I loved it. But the guy, I think his name was Kevin Cole, and he could not get away um, in the world we live in now. Um, cell phones, monitors everywhere. Uh, any kind of digital device, Brother I was connecting with him. He couldn't get yep. away. Um, that was really scary. Uh, nevertheless, I loved it. Bought all of them. Was really. I was kind of excited about the B the new fifty B fifty two, the, the new fifty <laughs> the new fifty two just because of of OMAC. And then um, 
I think it was after the second issue came out, I was reading reviews, and this one guy was talking about the new 52, and he said, um, he was giving his thoughts. He says, well, I can tell you right off, there's two books that aren't going to make it. They're going to be canceled pretty soon. I don't remember what the other one was, but the other one, he said, was OMAC. was going to be the first to go. What? He says, I can tell you that after reading the first. I thought it was awesome. And I couldn't wait. That was always the first of the pile I read when I went to the comic store. Um, again, it was a different animal, but I thought it was interesting and unique. Um, but anyway, the Paul Pope Omac, he just retold that story, and it was outright mortifying. Yeah. Um, anyway, 100%. Saying this, the Paul Pope can write, but when I see him, I see an artist. Um, but I guess he's what you call a, a writer-artist, which is something I prefer. But he certainly knows how to put the story together. Um, you're in, um, it's like an alternate future. You're in New York. Uh, one thing they have, the money has a revolutionary, the, the paper money has a revolutionary on it. With a, with a black star, it's all black and white, but it has a star behind him. Uh, I've seen that, I can't think of where that's from. Um, but I see that image all the time. But, it's kind of like a clockwork orange kind of future. And you're following this one young man that works in a club, and he's basically a busboy, and he's talking about that. He's working as a busboy, and sometimes he's the dishwasher. But again, interesting character. You're following two friends. One, I guess she was a dancer, and now she's kind of the behind-the-scenes managing the place. When equipment breaks down, she has to get up and, and fix it in front of everybody. She's making sure all the, the dancers are lined up and hired. And then her friend, who just bought a handgun, because one of the girls that they knew was murdered on the streets. You know, a lot of that's going on. Yeah. You have another young lady that just comes in. She needs a job. She She's a dancer to other places. She takes it. She meets the busboy slash dishwasher. And um, some of it's hostile. Some of it's tender. And then you slowly, it's mainly those characters, and then the girl that's managing the, the club, you meet her brother. And, you know, some other people come on. Um, as a matter of fact, that same girl you met her brother, you later meet her husband. You see her kid. But everything intertwines. And, um, but he tells a story, I'm guessing this was a comic series, it wasn't just a, a trade that came out. But he gives a segment of each person in each storyline and they just some of them are completely independent and somehow intertwined later um it's something also the dancing and it gets really poetic when they talk about it uh the girl that shows up is a dancer she gets in a, a i hate to be vague a, a pissing match with the the bus boy slash dishwasher and she has her bag of stuff that she just showed up with, and she's arguing with him. And um, she's asking questions, and he's telling her, and then she leaves. And it's snowing outside, and he sees she dropped something. So he's trying to catch her. She's already gone. It's a diary. And then she's upset when she finds out she lost it. He's trying to figure out what to do, but it's locked. And he doesn't open it. So anyway, she shows up to work the next day asking questions, and then she goes down to the kitchen where he's working. 
he's got in his back pocket and she's uh, about to give him what for and he says I tried to call you you know you're already gone she takes it she kept saying something about you know you better not have read it and they get in another argument and then she leaves and then she realizes and she says you're gonna be down here you're gonna be up there so now I'm down here all night don't come up and see me and then she's really shocked that um and touched that he didn't try to open the lock. She could tell he didn't read what she said. This is where it gets poetic. They start talking about how in the old days when women are fully clothed in let's say the Victorian era, just seeing a woman's ankles is really exciting. And then slowly when you know clothes would kind of change, you still live in more and it was exciting. Next thing you know they're in bikini swimsuits and then nude. And you know, the the imagination and excitement is kind of gone. And they're always trying to find the next thing. So anyway, these dancers are up dancing. Um, he he does a really good job when you're in this club that it's a noisy thing and all you're hearing is thum, 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 boom. And he's got these really sideways sound effects going through. But when you go in there, I feel like I'm in a sweaty, smoky, alcohol-laden, you know, thumping place full of people. But they have this technology they're putting on. And as a matter of fact, on the cover, and they use a varnish on it, but the woman's putting little black spots under her um Yeah, under I noticed those cheeks. dots on there. Yeah. And um, they're a varnish, and there's a dot. You see the other side, the green part, through the mirror. She's in the mirror, and it's got um, a circuit board on it. Ah, okay. But they're sticking them on. Well, <clears throat> they're talking about a suit, and the suit basically looks like a string of Christmas lights. And uh, it doesn't cover anything up. It's just a really few lines that they put on. They're given a code name. It's a new one. It's the only one they have. But basically, when the dancers are up there dancing, all over the, the place in the background is images of her inside organs. <laughs> Uh, it shows her blood pumping, shows her heart, shows her spleen. And basically what she's talking about was they're seeing everything. They're seeing inside me, which she doesn't like. They're seeing her dance. And you start understanding why her diary was her last refuge. And she didn't want that guy reading it. And, you know, and the guy didn't. Um, it was neat. And like I said, Jack Kirby's OMAC. Even though it was a harsh world, there were still tender things in it. And this one was the same thing. The people are still people. They still care for each other, help each other. Um, but then it kind of shows other things about people disappearing, people coming back. Um, I, I was really sad when it ended. Um, but this one, unlike Garth Ennis, this one, I want to look up more Paul Pope now. I mean, I've seen him, I thought he was good, but he wasn't somebody that, I thought he was great, but he wasn't somebody that, again, was in my wheelhouse, but after reading this, I'm really touched. I'm thinking, I, I need to see more by this man. He's, he's really something. Fantastic, man, fantastic. Sounds like you've really found a good stack of books to be reading at the moment. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Let's take the music break, and we're going to come back, and I got something I want to talk about. You got it. Deep 
You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click Click on the Cyclops. True Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Okay, that was a new band we got called TBD, and it's actually from uh, Dr. Bruce Olav Solheim, who we've had on the show in the past that did Dr. Jekyll Alien Hunter. Um, he heard me whining about we need music, and he was very kind and sent us a note. Says, Don, I have a band if you're interested. Um, awesome. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. It's um, Actually, they're quite good, as you heard, but it's a rockabilly feel. They sent me one song, and you know we have on the link. Um, they have several other songs. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask if he could send some more over. Um, he's he's involved in a lot of different creative ventures. Yeah, he, he's he's a busy guy with a lot going on. It's pretty impressive, man. But uh, no. but thank you, Doctor Solheim, for sending it. And um, anyone listening, be like Doctor Solheim. Send us some recordings that you've done, because uh, Rook is tired of me playing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, dude, I got a book to talk about here, man. I'm here. So, I got a, I got a buddy of mine that goes to estate sales and things, and typically he's looking for various collectible pieces. Uh, he's a Hot Wheel collector. Uh, he's also helped me expand my woodworking collection yeah. uh, over the past few years and stuff. But recently he hit a, he hit a yard sale, estate sale, something, I'm not sure, uh, and he found me this. It's called Table Titans Book One, First Encounters. Hmm. It is done. Uh, the creators on this is Scott Kurtz and Steve Hamaker. Now, if those names might sound familiar to some people, it's because these guys have worked on a lot of stuff. First off, um, Kurtz is an Eisner and Harvey Award winning cartoonist. Yes. Uh, and then Steve Hamaker is an Eisner and Harvey uh, Award nominated cartoonist. Of the Bone graphic novels by Scholastic. Really? Yeah. So, like, I was, I was like, whoa, man. They've got a lot of other work that they've done as well. So, uh, but specifically, I want to talk about this one. This is first off, it's a big book. I mean, you can see this. This is a good sized book. Uh, I dove right in and I started reading. uh, You know. As you can probably get an idea of Table Titans, this is a D&D based uh, um, comic book. Okay, It goes back and forth between the table talk and the actual gameplay uh, and some of the things happening there. So um, art-wise, I mean, you're talking about a beautiful, beautiful book. I mean, it is a lot of fun. Uh, Gorgeously done. Basically, it starts out with this group uh, who's meeting up to play D&D. Huh. And, you know, they've got a new DM hitting with them and everything. And it's uh, – so I'm just going to give you a quick rundown here. So the Winitar, the game's greatest prize, is up for grabs. The Table Titans intend to win it. Join Val, Alan, Andrew, and newcomer Darby as they embark on adventures – 
both at and away from the table in their quest for gaming glory. All that stands between the table, between the Titans and the Wintar, is a new dungeon master and a rival gaming group, and their own secu- insecurities. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's a fun book. It's a great read, and uh, you know, I don't want to give anything away because there's, uh, you know, even though this is a, uh, a an older book, it's been around for a while. I really want you guys to go out there and check this out. And here's the cool part. This apparently started as an online comic book. So this is all out there for you guys to go and check out yourselves and, you know, throw these guys some love, support. And, uh, you know, they've got an awesome, awesome website. Uh, It's it's tabletitans.com. There's comic books. There's Tales from the Table. Uh, they're even working on their own RPG system at the moment. Hmm. Uh, there's a shop for you to, to go and buy stuff at, and there's even a Patreon for them. Uh, listen, if, if you dig the D&D stuff, if you're having fun, fun with reading that kind of uh, work, this is definitely something that I think you should check out. Uh, one of the cool things I found on their website is not only is it they, – they, they're linked to everything. So Table Titans is an online comic uh, that gets posted Monday through Thursday. Um, they also have Binwin's Minions, uh, an ongoing adventure that is new every Friday. Uh, Tales from the Table, which is fan-submitted uh, stories uh, from uh, Yarns of Glory, Triumph and Glory, updated uh, daily Monday through Thursday. And then, of course, they've got their news feed and stuff like that. So it's they've got just a ton of different content for people who are comic book th- enthusiasts, D and D enthusiasts. Um, you know, if you if you want to get into something that's really got some some stuff going on, this is a great one to get into. Um, this particular book that I have in my hand, this was only twenty bucks. Uh, on on the retail price on the back again this was a gift from a good buddy of mine Uh, Chris you know who you are Uh, can't thank you enough for you know scooping scooping this up at uh, that sale that you went to for me man Um, you know there's multiple books in the series so there's plenty of stuff out there Uh, if I remember right I think there's three yeah there's three different volumes um and then uh, three different volumes, including the Binwin's Minions, Volume 1. Uh, there's more coming all the time because, like I said, they're posting this online constantly. It's a really cute book. You get to know the, the characters. Uh, you know, you got, you got five main characters, and then, of course, you have the four adventurers because one of the characters is the DM. But here's your character design for their D&D oh, yeah. characters right here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, one of the neat things that I found about the book is if you see this, uh, I know Don, Don doesn't know this, but this hexagon pattern here, hmm. this is um, this is battle map. This is um, what you would draw a battle map on is this hexagonal pattern for certain uh, RPG systems. Yeah, I, uh, back in the 70s before you were born, I was over <laughs> at somebody's house and um, they were playing Melee. Which was a popular game at the time, and um, they had a, a dwarf army, a monster army, um, 
one of the yeah. guys, you know, had a, had a Trojan army, but it was all on that hexagon. I always liked that. Yeah, it's it, man. The attention to detail, as far as like, like even in the back of the book, they do uh, they do some work. Uh, they show you out some sketch work that they did creating the characters, yeah. and got that hex pattern in the background there. That's really fun. I actually, I, I really dig that they they put that in there. And then once you actually get into the gameplay stuff, um, the the character designs, uh, they've got a displacer beast in here. Uh, which looks absolutely fantastic. I love the look of this thing. Yeah, I do too. So, um, you know, and I mean, big page spreads and everything. Lots, lots of fun action, and you know, conversations and just, just stuff that ha- it, it. It's a great read. It, it's not a big read. Um, comic book wise, uh, reading wise, I think you've got like. Um, what like 62 63 pages in here and then you guys content in the back and even a little preview of what of the book that comes after this so um like i said this is just awesome and they even got david peterson from mouse guard to draw <laughs> this piece uh for the back of the book of the characters yeah. so <laughs> uh, which you know, I'm sure everybody remembers me talking about Mouse Guard a hundred years ago. Uh, your son um, was a fan of it. That was one of his favorite yes. books. Yeah, Chris was a big fan of the books. So, yeah, so was uh, my that daughter. was like a necessity grab every time we went to the comic book shop. <laughs> well, Scott, Scott Kurtz, I was familiar with him because um, he did a comic called PVP. Yes, I guess player yeah. versus player. Um, a woman I worked with. She would go to Megacon, and she'd come back, and this is when all the stores in my town were gone. Um, so I, the only time I ever got comics is when I went over, you know, on vacation to another state or another city. And so she'd bring me what she would find, and she had a few issues of PvP, and she said that the guy was so funny. I guess she enjoyed talking to him, and she said it was a really hot comic. And, I mean, I'm not a, a game player, but I enjoyed him. I liked how he, he drew and laid his books out. They were funny. And he was, there was a, it was the first comic podcast I ever heard in my life. It was called Fanboy Radio, which is done out of Fort Worth, Texas. And he would be a guest on it at times. I mean, he was a friend of the show. He would call in. But he was a guest a few times. Um, extremely interesting person. And again, as one of my friends said, he is funny. Um, Lynn Ween was a guest one time. And he called in, and he was acting like he's two different guys, and he was being really nerdy. And <laughs> he was talking about, um, you know, going over these facts about Wolverine, and uh, about how he retracts his claws. And when Lynn Ween was starting to say something, he goes, We're not disputing you, Lynn. We're not disputing you, but what our question is, you know, and... Then at one point when somebody said something about it, he goes, well, we have a term for that. Totally Gaylord. And, you know, <laughs> it was all a joke. And then he finally got off. I think when he was getting off the phone, he goes, all right, we're going to let you answer and we're going to leave with our regular thing. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. And then he hangs up. And then later when um somebody else was on the show and asked a question, and Lynn, well, Lynn Wayne finished, he goes, well, you guys can joke about it all you want. But I'm in the comic shop every Wednesday having these very same conversations with the people around me. And he was talking about Wolverine and how they pop the claws. And um, 
Anyway, Scott Kurtz called back as himself. And somebody said something about, he called early, he goes, what are you talking about? He was, you know, he played it right along. But I've, I've always liked him. As a matter of fact, I was wondering, I haven't heard anything about him in a long time, so I'm glad he's still involved in doing work you really like. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like I said, it's a lot of fun. It's a great book. Uh, these characters actually originally appeared in Player vs. Player as part of a special series oh. that he did with... Uh, with Wizards of the Coast, uh, uh, the, those they're the publisher of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you know, it, so that that player versus player led into this, and he's still doing both. Apparently, he's still doing player versus player, and really? he's doing Table Titans. You know, this, this is a busy, busy guy. So, um, wow. no, and and there's lots of other cool stuff that you can get. Uh, like, it, now I haven't looked into it, but. In in the book, there uh, on the first page, the uh, they have a drinking horn. Uh, in it, it says uh, it has a little asterisk. It says, "Visit Elven Artisans at Booth Twelve Sixty, Washington Renfair." I don't know if that's like an actual thing, but that would be cool as hell. Uh, <laughs> this little this little drinking horn right here. Yeah. I think he adapted an actual thing into this book <laughs> and then gave the people who actually created a plug in the book. I mean, that's awesome, man. I, like, what a fun little Easter egg, too, right at the very beginning, you know? So, Well, that's yeah. what I said. He goes right along with it when he was calling the show. He played a part and then acted all the way through. So, yeah, I wouldn't put that past him that he'd put a real thing in there. Yeah, man, it's... Like I said, just it's a great book. I think Dallas would dig this because, like I said, you know, uh, Steve worked on uh, Bone, which Dallas absolutely loves Bone from back in the day. Uh, you know, which still blows my mind that Bone is on is on the Scholastic reading list because it was so dirty. <laughs> you know, you said this before. How how was it dirty? They, oh, come on! They were like they had the girl with the you know the. The figure, and they were like on her original, like oh, yeah. way back. Yeah, you know, okay. yeah. Uh, I, I could see that. Had some dirtiness to it originally, but you know that's that's like a lot of the Looney Tunes and the old MGM, car, the droopy cartoons. They always had the sexy ladies on them in times, and oh, it showed the wolves with his tongue sticking out. Um, suggestive. See, Bone, when that came out. Somebody, the store I went to, the guy gave me one, or he stuck in my box. I really didn't want it. And the way I saw that book was, this guy's really not that good, and he's just, well, I, I know it's a, you know, when I've seen it, I'm being honest, but all I thought was he's trying to be Carl Barks, and not very good at it. The Bone characters, I didn't find interesting. They were just kind of white, simple characters. Um, but, you know, it showed them trying to get back to where they came from they didn't know where they were and I thought well I've seen these characters before so I mean I really I really hated it to be honest with you I resented the fact that I, I paid money oh, for dude. this no I'm, I'm, I'm being honest I now, know I know you are but like Bone was, Bone was fun back in the day yeah. it was you know it was unusual and different you know um, it kind of fell into that like uh 
a bit of a nostalgia-esque, like, yeah. you know, they were like kids. They were kids, you know, well, doing weird stuff all the time. Saying this, my daughter got a, remember they used to have those digest books by the cashiers just here at the grocery store? It was uh, Disney Adventures, I think it was called. Yeah. She liked to get those. She was really small. And they had a bone story in it, in that digest, done for the digest, and Tom Tom Luth, who colors grew and you saw Jumbo. He did the colors. It was beautiful. I said, well, this was actually pretty good. Uh, Bone was in black and white. Well, there's a guy that worked for me that collected comics, and he brought in, um, I don't know if it was Wizard or Previews, but they had a special on that issue, and it was Bone trading cards. And, again, those were in color. And the Bone characters were nicely airbrushed with, like, a blue highlight. I thought, well, this is actually pretty good, too. Um... I started picking Bone up. I've got all the issues. When After I just decimated the book, you know, and said all these things about it, I collected every issue. And, um, but it was the cow race. Grandma Ben was doing the cow race, and that's the one that brought me in. And the characters, Grandma Ben, uh, the the innkeeper, uh, the young lady that Rook was talking about, absolutely fantastic characters. It made me think of Chuck Jones and Walt Kelly of Pogo fame. And I thought, this is something. And then you start realizing there actually is a story. Um, he was in the comics journal, Jeff Smith. And Gary Grock, you know, that was a really elitist and nasty magazine. I loved it, but, I mean, they, they went beyond the pale really heavy. And Gary Groth interviewed him. And, you know, Jeff Smith did a really nice cover. And it was like an autumn scene with the character Bone sitting under a tree. And then um, Gary Groth introduced it, and it says, Everybody is wondering, who is this guy? He just appeared out of nowhere. And then he went on and said... The idea of Gary Groth interviewing Jeff Smith brings up idea, you know, thinking of a beaten baby seal and and a bloody man carrying a bloody club over him. Absolutely, what I was thinking is okay. you you'll find in this you know in this interview that Jeff Smith knows what he about he's about and holds his own. It was a fantastic interview, but he was really interesting because he was an animator. He had an animation studio, and he did animation for um, the Batman animated series. You know, they were farming that work out, and his group did did some of it. And uh, I guess he was doing commercials and stuff. And I guess he just wasn't getting enough business to make ends meet. So he... um. He was doing Bone. He had done Bone in college, I guess, in the newspaper strip. And in the comic book, in the letters pages, people would ask about... I guess he had some some little books from the college work he had printed up. And people would ask if they could get them. And he goes, I'm not going to sell them, you know, through the mail. This is before the internet was the internet. But he says, I, I kind of like to have it as a special thing when I meet people at the shows. Good enough. I thought that was a good answer. Anyway... He was telling Gary Groth that it just came to the point where the studio wasn't making a living and he was doing bone. 
and he had done the first three issues and they just weren't selling. And you know, you and I always ask creators how they get the work out. And what he did, they were having a, a retailer summit. And so he bought a table at a retailer summit and he took his comic book and he printed the first three issues up and you know, a second edition. And he bought a suit. And he went to the summit, and then he had a table, and he went around the table, and he gave each retailer the first three issues. He had enough printed to give each retailer to show the first three issues. Okay. And his thinking, you know, he introduced himself, talked to them, gave them the books, and his thinking was they might read it and enjoy it enough and want to know what happened. Smartest thing he did, because that's absolutely what happened. He got the work out there, and... In the late 90s, or mid to late 90s, that was the big talk, was Madman and Bone. You know, Mike Allred's Madman and Bone were the two yep. two of the biggest comics that seemed to come out of nowhere. Of course, Madman, he'd been doing, Mike Allred had been doing many comics and alternate press stuff and all that. And Madman, well, I think it was by Kitchen Sink, and it was really different than the work he's doing for Dark Horse later. But, yeah, Bone was a series I really enjoyed. I even bought the Charles Vastron Rose <laughs> miniseries. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it quite a bit, but I'm just saying, a lot of times your first impression of something, that first issue, I thought, you know, I, I think I paid two ninety five, and it's like, what? Nothing happened. I've seen this stuff before. This guy can't draw. <laughs> uh, that's so funny when you say stuff like that. Like that. But, uh, it would be a classic. It would be a classic stuff. Oh, and the guy yeah. can draw. And since then, he's done a caveman series called Tukey, which I've talked about on the show. He's done, um, what was that yep. one you and I talked about? I gave you one of the books, um, um, uh, Tesla tied into it. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, what was that? What was that? I can't remember the name of it. But, um, I can't remember now either. That was, uh, that was really good, too. Um, and he's been out there. And like I said, when he did that deal with Scholastic, that's major because yeah. he wasn't dependent on comic stores anymore. Even though he's still, like I said, I found Tuki at a com the first couple of issues at a comic store. Um, I found one issue at a comic store with the book Rook and I can't even think of, but I'll have it posted on the blog. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, it was about a thief that was using some kind of time device. It was really, really yeah, good. It was good. What was that? God, um, I, I'm blanking right now. Oh, me too. Uh, well, it's about time to finish. And I think it is about time, man. <laughs> so, Listen, anyway, um, if you like to draw, we're always looking for covers to use as, to announce a new episode on the Facebook page and the Facebook group. Um, and we can't pay you for it, but if you allow us to, we'll add it to the cover gallery on the blog. Uh, a lot of people enjoy these. I can't wait to get these to come in. And you'll live on in infinity. infinity. Uh, we've already talked to Music Breaks. So I'm not going to bring that up again. Um, and we have t-shirts. Uh, it's just to help us with hosting fees. Um, I'm really proud of it. Uh, we all have one. Uh, if you like one, just go to the sidebar. Uh, it goes to the Etsy shop. And um, pick one up. we got a one-sided shirt and a two-sided shirt. Uh, listen to the show. Wear the shirt. Rook? Guys, 
find us on the internet. You can find us on Facebook, Two Dimension Podcast. Join our group. Join the conversation on there. You can fo- follow me on Instagram. It's just simple, Rook Murphy. You, it's as simple as that, man. Follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter, too, but all it is is just reposts from Instagram. So go to Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find all of Rook's mini links on the sidebar of the blog on by, under By These Guys. Until next time, everybody. Read. More. Comics.